Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Alternate Take. I am your host, Danny Rodriguez. Welcome back to the show. On this episode, we brought you guys a mashup. That's right. We brought you guys a detective from LAPD, one of the most dangerous cities in the world, who's also a mariachi singer. No bullshit. This guy's a fucking superstar, man. His name is Chris Reza. And we had to bring him on, man. We're talking about a guy who deals with two of the biggest fears a human can deal with. Just danger being number one. And the second one, public speaking. In this case, singing in front of thousands of people. So, you know, him dealing with both of those things is just the, one of the most admirable things I can think of. So we had to bring him on and we had to pick his brain, man. And it was super exciting. I really do think you guys are going to enjoy what he has to say. So without further ado, I bring to you Chris Reza. Alternate Jake, what's up? We're back. We brought you guys a very special guest, man. You guys know what we're about. We're about sports, MMA, comedy, but we're also about local heroes and true crime. And we got you a little bit of both on this podcast, man. We got you the LAPD detective who is also the big mariachi singer, Chris Reza, to protect and swerve, baby. What's up? How you doing? <laughs> That's right. While we're swerving. Saludos, man. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Well, um, I had to get you on, man. I, I saw you on, um, you came up on Instagram. And uh, yeah. interestingly enough, uh, I knew some people that, that knew you. We've had some former guests on, like Gil Carrillo and whatnot. And yeah. uh, I saw what you were doing, man, and I thought it was phenomenal. So I, I thought I'd bring you on and, 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 you know, talk about your life for a second. So uh, let's start from the beginning, brother. Let's start from the hey. beginning. You're a kid, Chris Reza. Yep. Um, that's where it all started, believe it or not. That's how... Um, uh, East LA growing up uh, in East LA off of Hamor Rowan and uh, we were just you know Mexican American kids growing up with uh, you know freedom and fun and the neighborhood was different then and, and we didn't know any better you know but um, we're three brothers I have two older brothers that are also police officers with LAPD and uh, honestly growing up then I, um Law enforcement wasn't something that we really thought about, you know, like they say, we, were, we weren't always cops. Um, we grew up in that neighborhood, but my dad uh, and my mom did a good job. They, they, uh, they sacrificed to put us through private school. And uh, my dad, being a Marine that he is, kind of ruled a certain way and uh, kept us in a, in a kind of paramilitary upbringing, you know, for the most part. And but it was it was just a good time. It was we had a good time growing up what we did and the upbringing that we had. But as, as far as at that point, thinking that I was going to go or any of us into law enforcement, not not really. You know, it was a, the third street sheriffs, as we called them then, that that uh, patrolled the area. And um, that point, they didn't really look like us. But, um, you know, they never screwed with us. They never it was never that kind of relationship. They. They did their thing, and uh, we had a lot of respect as we were taught to have. And uh, we were just uh, so that law enforcement thing kind of came up later, but it was it was a good time. Yeah, you know it's funny. I know a lot of people from uh, from East LA during your time, and yeah. none of them really have a bad thing to say about the neighborhood. It's funny, like they they talk about the bad things that happen, like in a funny way, like oh man, this one guy almost ran me over with his truck, and then it was, but they're like they're like laughing when they tell these stories. Um, my my father's in uh, law enforcement, and he um. He grew up off, I think, Whittier in Atlantic on on a uh, Sixth Street. So, um, you know, same thing, same stories. You know, they still talk about the same way, and it's uh, 
It's funny to hear that, man. How much of, a, of an influence was that when you got older to know, like, when, when I, if I were to go into law enforcement, I already know the neighborhood and I feel confident doing this job? Well, that was a big um, motivation as well as, as having grown up there. Um, I did start with the sheriff's department. So I started with the sheriff's department for about four years. So, um, of course, that was one of the places that I wanted to work was East L.A. because that's where I grew up, you know. Um, if I would have stood a sheriff, but my plan was kind of always to be LAPD. My older brothers had started with the LAPD. So that just kind of, it was a little bit of a sidetrack. Uh, things weren't being hired. People weren't being hired as much with the LAPD. So when the sheriffs got hired, did the jails and the courts there for a while. But I always knew that, I mean, <clears throat> growing up there, you're kind of predisposed to, to dealing with people. Even in the jail, you, you get to talking to people that grew up in a neighborhood and, and they could read you right away. They know where you're coming from. They know you know them. They know what you're about, and you're not bringing any fake stuff. You know what I mean? And that goes a long way. That goes a long way when you're dealing with, with the, you know, any kind of, you know, people either in jail or out of jail where they could see what you're really made of, and you're not bringing any kind of, they, they don't like bullshit. So when you're telling them, oh, yeah, I grew up in this area, you knew some of the same people, and you grew up with some of the same people, and you know the neighborhoods, and you know this kind of, it goes a long way. It, it, it goes a long way with uh, getting your kind of a uh, reputation and, and some kind of rapport with the people that you're dealing with. Yeah. 100%. And I would imagine um, not only does law enforcement do that, but your, your other gig in, in general, I mean, just, just music does that, you know, I mean, I've been playing music my whole life. Yeah. If, if you're, if you're any kind of good at it, it it's, it's going to force you to be social. It's going to make you better at conversations. It's going to make you more just attractive to people. People want to be around you. So um, did that ever like, come across in your, in your law enforcement profession where like in the beginning stages, at least where you would talk with music with these guys, or maybe, maybe like someone on the streets where you had to deal with or something like that. All the time, right off the bat. And that's before, I mean, I was already doing mariachi music as far as, you know, singing on side vocal lessons and doing things. Cause I started that with a young age with my mom, but I was already a sheriff when I was doing that. I was working in the jail. And one of the biggest things that I remember when I was working in there was, it was one of the modules, you know, and where they had, bunch of inmates in there and I was in charge of them it was kind of but I would put on you have this rapport and it's one of those things you're not running the jail the jail runs itself you're just there pulling levers right especially at CJ and it's like hey man I don't want no I don't want no shit today man and I would put on some oldies over the PA system <laughs> for, for at the end of the shift for about I don't know 10 minutes 15 minutes whatnot and you could hear a pin drop <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and that whole module that had, I don't know, 16 on the bottom, it was four of them, 16 on both sides and 13 cells, each six men on the bottom, four men on top. So you could imagine like 300 people, some oldies. People would be quiet and you would gain a lot of respect because you gave them a little bit of time with music that everybody kind of relates to, you know, and it was the oldies. So it was, it was the essays and it was the blacks. They all loved the kind of music. And, and everybody had that moment of music was going to take them somewhere else, you know? So now you had that rapport and, and it, it made my job a little easier just to play some oldies that, at the end of the shift, you know? So the next day it was, things got a little easier that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would imagine uh, your partners who weren't musically inclined were like, what the hell is this guy doing? And then when they saw the reaction of the inmates, they're like, oh, fuck, he's on another level. Yeah. Yeah. You're always going to, you always, you're always going to get some people like, fuck that man. Um, don't don't uh don't play them anything or you know but that's just there's there's multiple ways to to do this job you right. know connect with people and you got to be real so that that's one of the main things 
Yeah. And honestly, society respects that too, that you, that you're trying multiple things, you know, it's not just one tool in your toolbox. I think that's a, I think that's a huge thing. Um, when you got to LAPD, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's Los Angeles. It's one of the most highest crime cities in the world. Yeah. And how has it been, um, now in your career? Now you've, uh, progressed to being a detective. Right. And a lot's changed since you've been there in the city of LA, you know, um, if you can give us like a brief summary of like what your time has been from when you got there to now, yeah. how, how the difference is. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I went from the sheriff's, which was, you know, a big agency. And then I went over to eventually went over to the LAPD and I went and started in Southeast division. Um, and I worked patrol there from 2004 to 2000, excuse me, 18. So I worked a couple of speed units, little things like that, but I, mostly I was on patrol there. And from the time I got there, there was, LAPD was already changing its culture a little bit, um, transforming certain things. Digital and car video started first with us at that division. We were the first division that had the pilot program. So that was the first game changer. But they had already started changing the culture of guard that had been there prior to my arrival. There was some problems. So things were already in the works to change into a little more community-oriented, a little more transparent, you know, working a different way. And the culture was changing. Um, with that being said, the division was busy as shit. You know, there was, there was um, you know, I think the first year I got there, there might have been close to 100 murders. Uh, um, just, it was, it was... One of those things where I really had never been to the area of Watts or South, South uh, L.A. in that area. Um, seven miles away from East L.A., a life apart. Realistically, I mean, the jails and dealing with certain kind of insights gave me, gave me a grasp and seeing talking to people. But actually seeing that community and being new there was like, wow, this is, this is something I, I never really imagined, you know. So... It was just a place where the majority of the community is is still very supportive of us. You know, the demographics have changed. Um, it's predominantly Hispanic now, you know, about 65% or so. When I got there, it wasn't. Um, but the majority of the people support us and they know what we do. We always had this banner back and forth and you had your people, 10% that were doing 90% of the crime. And and it was your job to, to you know, respect your job, respect the community and do a good job while doing it. And that's, that's what I'm most proud of is, is having been there throughout that change and having been able to do a job a certain way and, and lead through that transition in a place like that, you know, where a lot of people thought it couldn't be done. And all the while, you know, involvement with the community and, and, and having, earned the respect of the community that you work in because that's earned you can't you can't be there you know they know you they know if you spend time there they know you care about the community and how it is that you engage with people and you know it's that kind of simple stuff interaction at a liquor store something like that but that's something that never gets old the interaction with the community that you serve and the respect that you get when they know that you're doing an honest job you know, so I was there to see the beginning of that when that started and full circle to, you know, we made um, a big impact into the relationships that we built and the policing that, that we were able to, to serve the victims of the community, you know. And so 
now fast forward to to um, some of the things that that have happened and changed over the last couple of years. Um, now being a detective and now having to kind of uh, talk to victims as a detective and think and explain why it is that we're not doing certain things, why it is that. Well, I submitted the case, but it got rejected by the district attorney. Well, it's not that we don't want to do this. It's just that we can't do this anymore. You know, having this, this crime is now a misdemeanor. It's a theft. They could keep doing it over and over again. That's been the frustrating part, you know, because now, I mean, luckily I'm in a position where I can take time and I have the experience that I've built to tell people, this is where it used to be. This is what's going on now. Um, but it, it's unfortunate because, like I said, no matter what, the silent majority of that community, no matter what has gone on through the, through the press, through the loud voices, through everything that's happened, they have, stood, they have stood quietly supportive of us in the most quiet of ways. And more so this last year than anything else when I've worked a couple of shifts in the field and things like that. A lot more supportive than anybody would imagine, um, knowing what we serve and what we do and the important roles that we play. With the, with their with their help to keep that community safe. Yeah, you know, you know, I I kind of relate your uh, transition from you seeing law enforcement back then to now is kind of like the way I analogize it in my head is like a safety in the NFL. And the, and the reason I bring that up is because well, it's in the title number one, your safety. But number two, right. the NFL rules used to be where you could, <laughs> you know, if there's a receiver across the middle, you could and and, and he's and he's in. He's illegal to hit. Let's get him. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and it's easier to be good at that sense of football because, well, you've been doing that since you're, you know, you're a kid almost. Yeah. Um, but then the rules tighten and they're like, hey, from now on, that's not allowed. Or from how from now on, you can't do this. From now on, you can hit him perfectly, but you can't hit him that perfectly because it's gonna look bad. Even if it's a even if it's the best tackle you can possibly make, you hit him right. too good. So that transition to me is perfect because it's like, well, for a safety to be good during that time and to still be good when the rules change, that's phenomenal. That's a really good safety. Yeah. Like he knows, he knows how to play the game on every level. It doesn't matter how you change the rules. He's going to be phenomenal. So that's kind of right. how I analogize that with you. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely something like that. Plus, you know, when you're talking about split decision, decision, decisions, right? Split second decisions and the difference of what something looks when it's full speed and something, how it looks when they slow it down in slow motion, Right. Oh, it looks like helmet to helmet when this guy's crouching, the guy's already diving and you know, those kinds of things. You have the ability of hindsight when when you're judging those kinds of plays or our kind of work. You know, so there's a lot of similarities that I can see where you get that from. Yeah, 100 percent. And then and then definitely, as you mentioned, you know, I, I think it's I think it's important that what you mentioned earlier, we talked about like uh, where victims kind of frustrated that they're not uh, that the case isn't getting thrown in. We're like. Hey, as an as an LAPD officer, I'm I'm sure you have no choice. I'm putting this report in re regardless. You know, if I don't, I'm I'm there's supervisors ahead of me going, what the hell? Why didn't you? So it's not it's never in your guys' hands. You guys are, you know, even if you don't think it should be put in, you're going to put in the report regardless. Right. I mean, at the end, of, you know, you can't become negligent. We're going to do the job that we have to do to the best of our abilities. The outcomes are different, you know, and some things. Um, you just plain and simply can't do anymore. You know, just the last couple of days, uh, you know, they've been talking about taking away traffic stops and, and that they don't want us to do traffic stops anymore for minor infractions. And you have to do this and this and that, you know, and just over the last year or so, we've seen that the, what, what literally happens with the lack of uh, 
proactive policing with traffic, even just with traffic violations, you know, people start driving a certain way, traffic collisions are up, uh, traffic with pets are up, you know, people getting hit and runs. I mean, it becomes unsafe, you know, because uh, some people know that the police are just not going to enforce certain thing activities right now, you know. But, you know, you still have to find a way to um, do your job as best you can and, and you let the, the, the things that are not in your control, you know, you let other people, you know, you submit it and you put it on, on them, on the district attorneys, on whoever it is. And, and, you know, if somebody gets out the next day on no bail, well then, I'm, you know, and I hear that as well. You're like, oh, we arrested him. He's out. We had him arrested. He's out today. And, and then the court case is not for six months. Most of the time on those zero bails or those bailouts, I don't even get phone numbers that are working in three, four months down the road, much less somebody that's going to want to go to court or follow up with me after that much time has passed. You know, regardless, most of the times, depending on the cases that you're investigating, the people just want, especially down there, they wanted somebody arrested that night. You know, they wanted the problem to go away and they're not really in into the court process. But when you give them six months in between that, your chances are a lot less. You know, so you just you do what you can as best as you can. Um, and you know, you, you, that's what you rest your, you know, your, your, your laurels on basically that you're going to do, I'm going to do my job as well as I can. And that's, that's all I can do. You control what you could control. Right. And I'll tell you what, yeah. the silent majority, uh, for sure has your back on this. You know, I, yeah. I know a lot of people in LA, like I said, they want to change. A lot of people have left and there's no desire to come back. And, you, right. and uh, you're right. It is the people that the, the minority who just happens to be very loud and has your has not your best interest in this case, but um, that being said, enough serious stuff. Uh, how, how, how is this? How has this uh, career benefited you in your in your music career? Because I would imagine, like you said earlier, all the pressure that you have in this job, um, it's it's probably helped you going on stage. I mean, I, that's enough. Right. People would rather be cops than go on stage. That's is, can you believe how insane that is? Like they'd rather right. not perform be like whether it be music comedy something they'd rather they'd rather not do that and, and be a cop and get shot at so like how, how much does that help you, you you know what right before i'm about to sing somewhere uh i i feel like it's easier to be a cop sometimes with the kind of stress <laughs> and 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 the anxiety that i get before depending on the performance any kind of performance you get a little bit of that a little bit of that going on sorry um but you know it, it's kind of Speaking of stress, for the longest, I used my music to be, um, I kept them apart. So I had my kind of, uh, that was my outlet, right? I would go to work, play that role and do everything there, you know, 100%. And then take my uniform off and just kind of leave it there. And then I would transition into off-duty, you know, my music and my social environments with music and studying, singing and doing all the things that I love to do. And it was a world apart, you know, it, it was, you, it would make me forget about that other world. And it kind of, it kind of helped me, I think at that point, especially in those early years when there's so much to get used to and, and so much newness to it and, and incidents that take, took place back then and things that I was involved in. Um, but um, and I had success keeping them apart. You know, I was able to be at the beginning to do events that, that I never, I mean, I, I dreamt them, which is kind of weird. I mean, people say that you, you kind of dream them and you put them out there in the universe. And then when they happen, it's kind of a weird situation. Like, okay, I'm actually living this dream right now. This is kind of weird, right? 
Um, but I was able to do keep them both separate and be successful. So then you get to a point where it's like, okay, I did that. You know, I was focusing on my job at work and I knew I wanted to progress to, to be a detective. I was working in that capacity to become a detective, um, but I still had my music thing going on. And then through, through, you know, worlds, I, I, I you know, I, I started having my kids and, and, and um, then something just happened and, and it combined them both through an event at work. And it was something that, that um, having done those events that I was part of and my work progressed. And I guess just, it was time they crossed paths and I did an event at work and I happened to sing in, in uniform, which was when the community, community policing thing was going on. And at first I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to sing a uniform. I didn't want to be that guy. I kept them both apart. I was dead set. I'm, I was going to make this happen separately. You know what I mean? I didn't want one or the other to, to combine. I wanted to, to promote and do the things that I had to do right with the way I work. And, and I wanted musically, I wanted to attain certain things with hard work as well. But it just happened. I was part of an event and it was a great event. It was an event that we did. Some officers put together for a, a young girl, a quinceanera, where her mom was terminally ill and was going to pass away. She actually passed away like two short while, two, two months or so after the quinceanera. So they put on this whole quinceanera for her. She was also sick herself, the young girl. And they asked me to be part of the music. So I was like, sure, I got the mariachi. And they're like, hey, you want to sing in uniform? I'm like, no. I sing in my traditional you know, mariachi suit and traje de charro and stuff. And I said, no, I'll, I'll, I have my suit. I'll do this. Thanks, but no thanks. Oh, it would be really good if you did. You know, it'd be this and this and that. So I went to the event and the event itself was, there was more cops there than family. You know, and it was one of those events. I'm like, oh, okay, well, well I'll just sing a couple of songs in uniform and, and sing with the girl on that set. So as soon as I did that, it was like, you know, the press was there and things were like, oh, like, check this guy out, right? And that's when the kind of the light bulb went on for me. And it was like, okay, so this is, this is what's supposed, what was supposed to happen. So I kind of figured out that I was supposed to use my singing and my police work to get together and bring the community closer through music. You know, it's, 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 it's the best part of community engagement. It's, it's something that once I started doing that, it was, I knew it was something that was supposed to work out that way. Like that's what was, that's what I was supposed to do with music, you know? And I haven't looked back ever since, you know, but nerves, I don't know, man, I'm telling you, I've had some, the incidents I've been involved with at work, get nervous after the fact, if it's, a, if it's, if it's significant enough, if you know what I'm saying, there's some bullets flying and things like that, you have a little, you react in the moment and once it's over that night or the next day, you feel this huge, like, yeah, weight off your shoulder or you have a crash, right? Um, music, I mean, I've gotten better at a certain point. Probably I didn't know what I was doing, but it's like recently I did, uh, I did this last season, I did SoFi Stadium for the national anthem for the Chargers. Um, and the national anthem is just one thing, man. It's just, no matter why I sing it, it's the national anthem. It's, it's just, everybody knows the lyrics. Everybody's, you can't screw that up. You could screw up anything else except that song. And I did it the year before, it was viral. I did it this last year, it was 80,000 people there, you know? And it, it's just uh, something you kind of try to control, but it's intense. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's intense, you know, work-wise, I think just because you've 
been in those doing that job so long that it's muscle memory kind of thing and, and you're in a different environment uh but but the stress levels for for those i mean at, at the end of the day you enjoy it right it's something that motive drives you you're addicted to that to that adrenaline at the end of the day whether it's singing whether it's caught where you excuse me you feel it and um but it, but it's pretty intense both ways. <laughs> it's pretty intense once once before, and it's definitely police work. Once you've been involved in certain things, it's it's after that it kind of hits you a little bit of a of an anxiety drop kind of thing of what you just went through. You're like, wow, I could have died, you know. But uh, you know, uh, um, like my my vocal coach says, uh, you know, if you die as a cop, well, you die as a cop. But if you die singing, you're gonna have to read about it the next day. <laughs> which is the worst, you know, like, oh, did you see the copy screwed up the national anthem, you know, <laughs> and become viral that way. But yeah, exactly. You know, no, it's, it's very true. I think, um, I, I remember I'd read somewhere. It was like, a, or I saw somewhere it was like Simon Sinek. He's like a motivational speaker. And he had mentioned like, it's like an easy way to look at it. It's like the same feelings you get when you're nervous are the same ones you get when you're excited. So exact same bodily functions, everything the rapid heart rate at all, all of it. So He's like, if you can just trick your mind into thinking that you're excited and not be and not call yourself nervous, he's like, then you'll have a different outlook Like you'll actually calm down. Like you'll control your breathing and you'll just say, I'm just, re- I'm just ready for this moment, you know? And, and I think that's huge. And then on top of that, I, I was, I want to uh, add on to what you said. I, I think you were meant for that, you know, to mix the uniform with the music, because uh, I heard your song El Silverador and wow, man, I thought it was, I thought it was beautiful. I sent it to, I sent it to my pop and, uh, and he and he wrote back like a bunch like a like two paragraphs. He was like, "Wow, this is gonna." <laughs> I swear, he was like, "Wow, this is my." Uh, don't don't ever talk to don't, don't ever talk to Gil Carrillo about that song. All right, got you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh a, man, that's a, that's his jam. That's how that's how him and I. Um, I'd always known him from the boxing scene a little bit because he used to announce in the fights, you know. And then I went to go sing at a fight at the. Uh, the Novo or whatever it's called now, Nokia at LA Life for the cop fights. And he walks up, you know, hey, uh, I heard your song, you know, and this, the way he is, you know, very exciting. And I was like, hey, sir, good to meet you. No, oh, Admano, you know, all this, that song, you got to sing it. And then after that, we would just become, then the, the Night Stalker thing came out after that. And uh, that caused a lot of, you know, I was growing up in East LA at that point. I was young and I remember feeling for my mom and all that kind of stuff that was going on. And it was like reliving it again. I sent him a message. I was like, wow, man. I, I Half of that, um, I didn't know. You know, you just don't. You just kind of knew the what the streets were saying then. Uh, I did tell him, though. I was like, you, we kind of figured, you know, we thought, because he was in East L.A. once. And we're like, if he comes back here, they're going to get his ass. <laughs> um, that, that, that was that was just what we thought. We're going to get his ass, you know, because there's always somebody up in, in the hood. You know, there's always people awake or partying or whatever. And sure enough, he went back and they, and they caught his ass, you know. But it was uh, that song, though, El Servidor, um, I wrote down some topics, a couple of uh, lyrics and a couple of things that I wanted a song. And I gave it to one of my mariachi master buddies, right, who writes music and, music and, uh, and, and lyrics and everything else. I said, hey, this is what I want. Can you do something like this? In the style of the other songs, I kind of wanted a beat. And he comes back with that. And I changed a couple of things to put my mom in there and a couple of little words that I wanted. And it was like, God damn, I think we got something here, you know? And uh, sure enough, we did that and we did the video and, you know, went to Widget Boulevard and did all kinds of stuff. And and uh, it was getting us a, a really good reception um, when it came out. 
I the video itself was check this out. May 20, no, May 6th. So the it got to the media, channel seven, and then it was just like I was doing I did K Love, I did there's all these radio stations, TV stations. There was articles written about that to this day. That was May 6, 2020. By May 26, 2020, I was done. I wasn't Mexican no more. I was a racist cop. No way. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's how that's how the summer kept. It got it got crazy. That was it. All that hoopla, it was done. It was literally, it was literally 20 days. That video comes out. There's all kinds of stories. You could see them posted. And uh literally 20 days later, it was I was supposed to go back to Mexico to do a show. I was supposed to go doing these things, and it was done. It was it was. It was done. I was next thing. I was uh, in the riots for you know whatever, ten days or whatnot. And and at that point, I thought, well, screw it. You know, this is it. This is it, man. I don't need any of this shit, anyways. You know, right, right. Control, um, you control, like you said. That was it, man. I'm like, hey, I, I still got a job to do. I know where I stand. I know what I do. I know the difference we made here, and, and I'm gonna keep doing what I do. You know, and uh, but yeah, that was that was the way that went, man. It was one. From the highest of highs, all that stuff was like, man, this is actually going good, man. The reception is great. And then uh, 20 days later, just about, it was it was done. I went from being a great Mexican-American cop, uh, you know, oh, man, look at this, Chicanos, this and that, to like, not not a callback, no nothing. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> hey, that's, that's life. One minute you're up, the next minute you're down, you know? Yeah, what are you going to do? Fuck it. It is what it is. That's yep. funny. You know, but yeah, no, I remember my dad had told me, he's like, hey, um, he's like, let him know. And I was like, all right, so I'm embarrassing me. He goes, let him know my retirement party. Like, I, I want to hire him to play that. And, like, and all he's like, no one's ever articulated like what I've what I've thought as a as an as an officer, blah, blah. And I was like, OK, shit, I'd love no. I don't know what when his is. He, is. When, when does he retire? You know, I, I man, quinceaneras, retirements, weddings, cop weddings like there's. It, it's uh they're difficult i honestly i could say i don't i don't i don't try to do those too much because the logistics of everything and the mariachis and coordinated everything it, it gets difficult it gets expensive and i don't really do this to charge people you know what i mean i i do this to you know when it's community city city events and, and things like that but uh, a lot of people especially that like you know they they feel the sense as they should not just because of me they sense a pride we we are normal people we all like to drink micheladas and listen to Vicente Fernandez and, and, and mariachis. And we all have that cultural experience. Just when we go put on a uniform during the week doesn't mean you're going to take that away from us. You know what I mean? So um, we are under a different microscope, but we do have those same experiences. And I think part of that is what's helped me so much is you're able to relate to people that way. And they're like, oh, shit, they kind of, hell yeah, we do. I mean, what do you think? I don't. You know, those are some of the best things about our culture is, you know, we, we have a culture that's so rich, especially Mexican-American culture was it's unique on its own, right? Because they're not, you know, it's not fully Mexican. It's East L.A., Mexican-American. It's like we're Chicanos, we're English, half Spanish, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's definitely something that that fills us with pride to to have something that that you know that's our own that we get acknowledged for you know what i mean and at the end of the day no matter 
what uniform you wear, we are representative of, 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 of a culture that's unique to us here in Southern California and East LA and in Los Angeles that, that makes us unique, you know? We definitely have our own coins. And then the Chicano, the, the, the Mexican-American cops and all that kind of stuff, it, it's unique to what we have been through, you know, where we've come, where we stand now, where we're the majority now. You know, that alone in the locker rooms over the last uh, 20 years, you know, the music in the locker room has changed. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's changed. There, there's banda and corridos going on in the locker rooms now, you know. Uh, you wouldn't hear that back in the day. You, you wouldn't, you would hear, you know, classic rock and hard rock and then some rap maybe at a certain point. But now it's, you know, things have changed. So yeah. it's definitely something to be proud of. That that being said, what were your biggest uh, music influences as a kid? I mean, obviously Mexican American music was big, but like, what were your favorite bands, artists? What what was all that? Ooh man, um, there's so many influences. Um, my number one influence is probably my mom. Right? She she was the singer of the house. She instilled the love of music in me. At that time, I didn't know that she was doing that. Um, but she loved the mariachi music. She loved, you know, Vicente Fernandez, Juan Gabriel, Rocio Durcal, just to name a few. But she was singing, you know, and she she instilled this passion for lyrics and the important stuff that you're going to transmit um, at a young age. Uh, I didn't know that she was doing that later on. It all made sense. Uh, so she gave me those. Right. She gave me that love. But I mean, I've always had, um, you know, different genres I, like. I like singers. No matter what genre it is, I like people that sing. There's people that are, excuse me, that are artists that that dance well, that that have funky stuff. But I like people that stand there and belt. No matter what kind of uh, song it is, or you know, one of my favorite bands of all time is U2, right? And Bono has a great voice, and he has stuff to say. Um, he's some guy, he's another person, that band, I don't get tired of. I grew up a little nostalgia there because my older brothers who are much older than me, you know, I started, I started listening to them through their experiences, you know? So it went from, from you two to, you know, to, to mariachi music, to opera music. You know, I, I study classical music, singing, like, so Pavarotti is one of the guys off, you know, I'll sit there and listen to Italian stuff, you know, Sinatra's one of my favorites of all time, you know, I, um, you just can't go wrong with him. You know, now my kids know all his songs. So it, it's, it's cool. Willie Nelson, my dad, being that we're second generation from my dad's side, my dad's a Marine. He was born in East LA. He went to the same schools we did, but he was a country guy. He, he taught us, my mom taught us the Mexican music. He taught us the American music. You know, he was in a doo-wop band kind of growing up. So our musical influences were all over the place um, with different stuff. So I was born on, on, I was born and raised on Willie Nelson and, and you know, mariachi music. And, and I like to joke around, my dad's a truck driver and Hustler magazine. You know what I mean? It was, it was, <laughs> it was a, a lot of things that, that raised us a certain way. But musical influences, I mean, I like, there was a, a Luther Vandross was one of my, my preeminent, I had the opportunity to see him at a young age in concert and uh, he, you know, he was, he was a big R&B singer, but um, just people that stand there and are actually able just to control an audience with their voice was what they're saying. And they're actually singing, not dancing, not doing anything. Singing is, is an impressive thing to do. So 
I, I my musical things are as you can see already they're all over the board you know they're, they go in a lot of different places but uh, music's never ending music's never ending it's infinite that's kind of the challenge you know you're trying to to chase something uh, you're trying to obsessively chase perfection knowing you're never going to catch it that that's music music is you're, you're never going to be perfect and and that's what everybody kind of strives for but somewhere in the middle you got to be a you got to be happy with the what the what the chase you know you got to be happy with the um you know what the every day-to-day stuff the studying and, and things like that it's, it's to me that's fascinating i love it yeah and you're a, you're a yeah. legit singer man that's 100 i saw you do <laughs> ave maria rendition and i was like god damn this motherfucker's he's good man got me all emotional and shit i was like god damn right your right. star spangled banners and i was like dude like that yeah. that is not easy to do those are notes that um those are notes that you can probably stay in key in, but to actually hit them correctly all the time and on the, it was in the right pit <clears throat> on the right pitch. Sorry. was phenomenal. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, it's, it's taken a lot of, I mean, a lot of work. I didn't even to this day, I, my son's more musical than I am. And he's, he's nine now. And he came out of the womb knowing stuff that I wish I knew, you know, it took me a lot of work, man. It took a lot of people, um, you got to be able to take criticism because I wasn't musical that way. I just love music. You know, yeah. I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what I was doing. If I would have known what I was doing, if I would have known how bad I was or, or I, I probably wouldn't have done it, you know, but <laughs> ignorance, ignorance is bliss. And you just know you want to do something, but I was just hard headed enough. And I ran into the right people that were able to, you know, there's a group of three or four, three, my vocal coach who I've been with for a long time that were able to say, Hey, you need work here, man. I mean, you, you got an instrument, but you got to, you got to work a lot. You know, you, you need a lot of work to be musical and you're out of tune to this day. You know, it takes a lot of, I mean, a lot of work for me, a lot of repetition to be able to get to, to a point where I'm comfortable with the song. And then the style of singing that I like to do because of my vocal coach is just one of those things where it's a challenge, right? He right. was an opera singer. He is an opera singer. So you know, when we started, I'll never forget my first vocal lesson with him was, he's like, so what do you want to do with this? I said, I just want to work. I want to see, I want to see where I can go with this. You know, I don't have any plans. I just know that I'm going to, that this is something that I want to work at. I know I have a passion for this. And um, sure enough, that's what it is. I, I just, they've we've been going, we've been studying for like 17 years on and off, of course, because of work and different things. Um, but that's something I never get tired of. I, you could get rid of all the music as long as I have the ability to go and vocalize with him and sing in the shower or in the car or whatever it is to get that out of me. I'm, I'm happy with that, 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 and you know, he gets choked up when I tell him that I said, but this is, this is why I think I've been successful. If anything, why I was able to learn is because I felt so strongly about what we were doing here that I was able to go sing with him twice a week for an hour and then completely right after I left, just practice that. So I lost my voice in my car on the way home, you know, and it's, it's just not stuff. You have a passion for something. It's not work. It, it's, yeah. it's not work. You know, it's not, I gladly pay him to go and, 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 and sing it with him and, and try to get better um, all the time, you know, and, and that's, that's part of it. And it's, it's taken, you know, it's about 17 years now, you know, they say it takes you about 20 years to master something. Um, but, uh, I definitely, definitely wouldn't be anywhere near being able to do any of those things that I've done, um, in those environments, uh, without the help, um, 
in support of a lot of people, you know, and, and it's just fun. It's just, to me, the work, to me, that's the funnest part is the process, the work to get there and the work to try to accomplish something new is the most inspiring part of it all. Yeah. You know? Because you wouldn't have been able to, I, I could honestly say, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish things and be able to pull certain things off without that without a doubt. It's like, there's no way you walk into, there's no way, even then, there's no way you walk into an environment like like a stadium like that huge and and, and try to do that acapella that way. And even then it was, it was, to me, it felt like, oh my God, this is, this is, this is, this is horrible, you know, but you're always your worst critic. But even then you have to have the preparation um, put in the work to have been able to get you there. And like you said, believe that, try to control your breathing. Cause that's where I'm at now. I'm trying to, all right, this is performance. You try to control and you, you feel better, you know, um, once you get to a certain spot, but, um, it's just always so good to, to be able to work towards something, whatever event it is and, and, and produce something that you've been working hard at. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, we've had a lot of like legends on this podcast who are like performers, comedians, fighters, whatever. And, they all say the same thing, you know, that it's just a passion thing that, you know, they don't, it's not, it's not work when you really like what you're doing. And uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, man, like there's a, there's a huge respect for people like you who, who do what you do for a living and then still have these side projects. It, it humanizes you. It gives you a, yeah. it gives you a face. It gives you something to aspire for, for the, for the young kids who, who are looking at cops thinking they're just robots and then realizing right. they're not that they have something. And I, I think it's very important what you're doing, man. And um, I promised you 30 to 45 minutes, Chris Reza. We did 30 to 45 minutes. <laughs> Thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate you. Yeah, that, that's one more one more topic real quick is, yeah, the, the kids and people humanizing the badge and everything that we do. There's a lot of us. There's a lot of us that do extraordinary work every day. I just happened to to strike something that was able to, you know, get a little more publicized. But, man, there's a there's a lot of people out there that do extraordinary work and do work quietly and affect people and and, and quietly humanize the interactions with us on a daily basis we've come a long way but but you know i'm glad to be able to to represent a different aspect of it and and i've received a lot of great comments from a lot of people you know like what your dad said and, and you know gil i mean gil I, he he she, i mean something with the things he tells me man it's humbling some a lot of times you know um so i'm glad that i'm able to, to have that responsibility so to speak and and i've been able to do it a certain way with you know trying to keep it classy and, and respectable and, and do certain things but um yeah it's an honor and you know definitely time for the next generation and affect kids coming up and you know not like somebody told me it's it's on it's good to be able to let them know that you got you don't have to do one thing you don't put out have to put all your eggs in one basket you know life's long you know you can get after a bunch of different things and be successful and, and chase your dreams as long as long as you have to you know there's as long as you're willing to work from, you just never know. You never know. I, I was, I've been fortunate. I still got a few left though. So, you know, stay, stay tuned. Absolutely. Stay on that. Journey, yeah. And I respect yeah. a lot of it, man. Um, do you have any uh, Instagram or, or YouTube for people to check out for all your stuff? Yeah, I have a, all my social media handles are the same. I have uh, some videos on YouTube under Chris Reza and then uh, on you on uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's uh, C Reza Singh. For the most part, or just put in my name, Chris Reza, in Baltimore. It's all connected. So awesome. there's all the videos, all the videos, upcoming events. I have a, I have a uh, an event that I was just out trying to put together today. That we're probably going to do March 27th in Covina, 
it's going to be a bit of a, it's a mariachi show that I haven't done one in a while. I usually do one once a year on my own. It was something that came up at work and we're trying to put together some, some funds for the officer that, that was recently uh, murdered in, in uh, South LA, the police, the LAPD guy, kid that was murdered. Um, his mom is by himself, by herself, and he was trying to buy her a house. So they're doing some extra fundraisers. I was working on this. So I kind of uh, decided to throw my event into that fundraiser for them as well. So they're going to try to get together. Everybody's putting in money somehow or another to buy our house. So that's my next event. I'll shoot you some info on that and uh, we'll go from there. You know, we'll, we'll see what else comes up. Yeah. I'd love to support it. And I'd love to shout it out for sure. Oh, hey, man. Absolutely, man. Appreciate I'll, you. Of course. I'll hit you up when I have it for that retirement party coming up in a couple of <laughs> years. So. Absolutely, man. Retirement couldn't come any faster for some people. There it is. This has been I'm awesome. Take. I'll see you guys later. Peace. Thank you, brother. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with the LAPD detective with the pipes of an angel, Chris Reza. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, Chris. I really appreciate it, man. Um, Picking your brain and uh, breaking down that wisdom of yours on an episode was really fun for me. It really was, man. I, especially being a performer and whatnot. I, you know, I don't know how you do both, but I, I definitely respect you for it. And, um, we need more people like you, for sure. I'm glad people can hear this and uh, and be inspired and be motivated. For all of you Chris Reza fans out there, he's going to be in concert Sunday, March 27th, 2022. Yes, I have to say the year because some of you motherfuckers don't listen. And it's going to be at the Covina Center for the Performing Arts, an evening of mediachi and community. So go out there, get a buzz, enjoy yourself. Doors open at 5. I put the link in the podcast description, and I put all of his social media and information regarding that event in the description so you have no fucking excuse when you go tell them i sent you for all of you other fans of alternate take go to our instagram at alternate take dr and see all the rest of the episodes we put up thank you guys for tuning in this has been alternate take and i'll see you guys later peace